more importantly than knowing the things is your communication skills. It's your ability to work with people. That will be what makes the biggest difference for you as a clinical student going through your rotations. Welcome back to another episode of That Vet Life. This is a slightly different episode for y'all as I don't have a guest today. So what I did is I went to Instagram and I asked you guys some questions. Well, essentially, I put the question to you and I said, ask me anything. Let's talk about mentorship. Let's talk about being a vet student. Like ask me any of those burning questions that you have. And then I also went and created one of the much loved posts. I've been blown away at how much everyone loves these, where I ask, if you're a vet student, ask a question. And then if you're a veterinarian, answer a question. And it really just brings the Vetstagram community together because then it's not just me talking at you and it actually pulls the wealth of knowledge and experience of all of the veterinary professionals that exist on social media all in one place. So I'm going to pull a couple questions from the Ask Me Anything box. And then we're also going to go over some of the responses and the questions that you guys put into that post. So let's get into it. All right. So first, we're going to go to the question box that I put out, the Ask Me Anything. And I did this twice. Uh, I did it recently and then a little while ago. But most of the questions, of course, are from veterinary students. And so if you are a pre-vet student or you are in vet school, these will be targeted mostly towards you. And I will refrain from trying to pronounce everyone's usernames as that probably would not go very well. I apologize. But if this is your question, you'll know it when you hear it. Okay. So one of the first questions that I got, and it's it's more of a general broad one, was what is my favorite thing about general practice? And as I thought about this, I was like, oh, this is such a good question. Because when you're a vet student and you're stuck in this, well, not stuck, but you're presented with the question of what are you going to do when you graduate? Are you going to go into general practice? Are you going to go into a internship and focus on doing a residency or some type of specialty? And all of these options are in front of you. And, and at one hand, you can occasionally get presented with answers of, oh, general practice isn't all that exciting. You don't get to do high-level things. And I can say after being in general practice for two years, that is simply not true. I have seen such a variety of cases that have come through the doors. Like honestly, just recently, we had a case that we ended up sending to a specialist because of how crazy it was. But essentially, it was a tumor that was eating away at the um, bone of this dog's skull. And when they went in for surgery, there was no skull to protect the brain. And the surgeon found the brain (laughs) right when they went in. So I was so glad I sent it to a specialist. But long story short is you, you will see those things in general practice. You don't have to go to a specialty practice to see crazy, wild, wonderful things. And uh, that's one thing that I love about general practice is the absolute variety. The other thing that I freaking love is, and it can also be some of the more challenging things are the clients. The clients that you have in general practice, you typically will bond very well with them and you'll have a lasting relationship with them because you'll see these pets from when they're a puppy through their first vaccines, you'll do their spay or neuter, and then you'll see them throughout the course of their life. So you have this, say, 10 to 20 year relationship with these clients and then occasionally they come back to you 
with their new pet and the relationship continues. And that is something you just don't see or you don't have as much access to if you go into like a specialty or if you go into ER. And for some people, that's what they want and that's fine. But for me in general practice, I found that I absolutely love bonding with the clients. And so those would be the two big things that I come up with when someone asks me, what is your favorite thing about general practice? And quite honestly, I could keep going, but I will stop there since we do have um, quite a long list of questions to get into. So next question that we got here. Ooh, this one says negotiating a salary as a new grad. Um, If you don't really know what the going rate is or what you should be asking, the first thing to do is to simply ask. Ask the people that you know who have gone into practice, who have gone into the area of practice that you want to work or that part of the world, because it's going to be different depending on where you are, essentially. And if you have a mentor who's in practice, this is an even better question to ask them, since they may be in a position of hiring and they've been through this before from a different angle. So definitely utilize your resources uh, to find out what the going rate is. And I would also encourage you guys to go back and listen to the recent episode I did with Dr. Tanisha Crocker and just talking about how do we talk about money? How do we talk about salary? How do we figure out what your value is? Because there is such a thing as going overboard, but also we don't want to undervalue yourselves. And it's not a one size fits all type of answer. So reach out to your mentors, reach out to your friends who are already in practice, figure out what the going rate is. And then from there, just be willing to have a heart to heart discussion when you're in that interview. Like you don't know until you ask. And there are so there are many other people that would be much better to answer that question. So I will defer to them. But that would be my starting point as a newer ish grad. Can I even call myself a new grad anymore? I don't think I can. Oh, dear. (laughs) I've been in this too long to call myself a new grad. So let's jump into the next question. All right. So first year students, this one's for you. How to handle animals. Um, This is a question relating to how do you reduce fear in the animal when you're approaching them and handling them? And the good news, and I need to double check on this. Someone, Someone on the team can do this just to see if it's still true. But I would highly recommend everybody who's a veterinary student, I think you can get fear free certified, like level one certification for free if you are a veterinary student. And every single veterinary student should become fear-free certified. And the majority of that reason is because it walks you through basic animal behavior and how to recognize fear and anxiety in these pets so that you can actually do something about it. Because if you don't know how to read an animal or how to understand what their viewpoint is, you can't really do anything to reduce their fear until you've put yourself in their shoes. So go and look into fear-free certification. If you have a behaviorist course or an actual behaviorist at your university, talk to them. Work on getting a course built into your classes because this is something that will be invaluable because the better you are at identifying fear and anxiety and stress in your patients, the better you'll be at preventing that by developing an environment and developing pharmaceutical solutions for them to reduce their fear before they even come into the practice. You'll build a better uh, bond with your clients because you're able to help them 
help their pets. And so they'll trust you more when they come into the practice. It just has this like beautiful spiral effect. If you are able to identify and speak on animal behavior as a veterinary professional. So go look into Fear Free, talk to a behaviorist, a veterinary, board certified veterinary behaviorist. And then if you have one at your school, utilize that and push for a course that um, centers around it. So that's where I go from there. And so jumping to ooh, third year, who's going into clinical, that's an exciting time. Oh, goodness. I remember when I first started my clinical rotations, it was the super exciting time, which if you're in the UK, there's an event that kind of marks the end of your classes and the start of your clinics. And everyone comes in in an animal onesie and it is super fun. But that's a side point, side point. <laughs> but starting clinical or clinical rotations can be very daunting. And I feel like this is actually a good spot to jump over to one of the questions that someone put in the post. So let me go into that one here. So essentially, it was um, it's a question of like, what do you do? Like, how do you prepare for rotations? I love the kind of responses that we got. Two of them. Well, basically, this one is from the, the jerk researcher and also from Dr. Tanaja Crocker was be collaborative, be a team player. Yes, you'll need to know the things you'll need to have resources at your fingertips, which if you're a student, you can have a VIN membership for free. Utilize that. It will help you immensely and it, you'll just be able to find information so much faster. But more importantly than knowing the things is your communication skills. It's your ability to work with people. That will be what makes the biggest difference for you as a clinical student going through your rotations because you'll be able to share your caseload a lot better. You will be able to work with your rotation mates a lot better. You'll actually enjoy working with them and working with um, your clinicians and working with your clients and your patients. and it's just you'll get a lot more out of it as a result. So be collaborative, be a team player. Don't try and steal cases. You will still learn about a specific case, even if you aren't the primary student on it. And the only thing that comes out of it is if you try to steal cases and try to hoard them is that no one will like you. You won't actually learn as much as you think and you'll have a crappy time on rotation. So <laughs> work together, be a team player, be collaborative. And so, oh gosh, so now that I'm in these questions from the post, like I, I I couldn't keep up with it, guys. I posted it and by the next morning, it was just blowing up. So if you haven't seen that post, go and check it out because there is a wealth of information. Uh, you, like they literally, people will post one question and there'll be six or seven answers easily from veterinarians all over and from different areas. So you can get a very well-balanced view, I feel, at least from within the veterinary community. So Sticking with the clinical year uh, mindset, I have this question that what do you wish you would have done more or done differently in your clinical years? What skills do you wish that you had focused on nailing down and what opportunities do you wish you had taken? So multiple questions within one question, but this answer from Doc Shiloh, uh, DVM, it really, really, I feel like it just hit the nail on the head with it. So she says that she wished she hadn't stressed so much about becoming a good doctor or being a good doctor by the time that she graduated. Everything will come with time and experience, and you should not expect yourself to be able to hit the ground running at full speed. She, said, she goes on to say, I spent all of fourth year stressing about getting all of the experience I would need to be a great doctor. 
when I actually have learned more about practical treatments, diagnostics in the first three to six months than I did in my entire fourth year. Additionally, I wish I had asked clinicians more questions about what was practical for a GP vet to do slash test prior to referring to a specialist. The real world does not operate the same way as a teaching hospital does. And I think that was a huge shock to a lot of us new grads. And finally, communication should have been emphasized way more in my opinion, and also in my opinion here. It's a huge part of practicing and can mean the difference between a good or bad overall experience for the owner and for you. So a lot of things that are in this answer from Shiloh. Oh gosh, I want to break this down. Oh gosh, I'm getting really excited about it. But going back to the original question, I know for myself, when I was a veterinary student, I was constantly asking veterinary students and anybody who was a new grad, I was like, what do you wish you knew more? What is a practical, like a tangible thing that I should work on and learn more of? Because I, I also was afraid of graduating as a quote unquote bad vet or inexperienced or poorly knowledged, uh, is even a phrase poorly knowledge, a veterinarian. And before I'd even hit vet school, like I was already asking these questions because I was in the process of applying. And at the time I was in an externship and the veterinarian I was working with, he gave me probably the best bit of advice that I've ever gotten. And I've shared it on here multiple times, but it is this, when you graduate, you will have the necessary skills and knowledge to survive. That is what vet school prepares you for is to survive. It gives you a ground basis. It is everything that you do from that point of graduation on that will turn you into a good vet or a well, an experienced vet into a veterinarian who enjoys what they do. Do not put that pressure on yourself to expect that you will be 100% fully fledged by the time your feet hit the ground after graduation. It is just unrealistic. It's going to set you up for failure and you're going to have a crappy time. But if you go into veterinary medicine after graduating with the mindset of, all right, I've been given the the groundworks. I need to do something with all those tools that they've put in my hands. And from there, I will develop my skills. From there, I will build my knowledge base. And another way of saying this is vet school teaches you information that is a mile wide and an inch deep. So a mile wide and an inch deep. But when you go out into practice... Suddenly, you're able to focus on information and grow a mile deep and an inch wide. You will find that there is a ton of information that you'll feel will just fall out of your head. You'll be like, where did that go? I spent so much time learning it. But part of that is because it's not immediately practical to the type of medicine that you're practicing. So for me, in GP Small Animal, I honestly don't use my farm animal or equine knowledge on a day-to-day -day basis. So it just kind of fell out of my head. I could go and look it up. I could probably go and find it and reference it a little bit and it would come back, but I don't use it on a day-to-day -day basis. So my actual breadth of knowledge is probably comparatively about an inch wide, but my depth of knowledge in small animal general practice is so much deeper than it ever could have been in vet school. So holding those two things in your mind when you graduate will certainly change the type of fears that you have, and it should hopefully quiet a lot of them. So you're not worried about gaining the clinical knowledge. Um, the things that, going back to Shiloh's answer, that are a little bit more important than just the physical, tangible clinical skills are those professional skills. And I 
I caution you from calling them soft skills because that I feel lessens the value of them. And the truth of the matter is these professional skills, these communication skills are almost more important and they, to some degree, take longer to acquire than your practical skills. So it may take you longer to figure out how to talk to a client about a difficult topic than it will take you to learn how to place an IV catheter. It's just the way it is because there's so many other variables that are involved. So working on those professional skills, working on how you talk to your colleagues, how you talk to yourself, how you talk to clients, how you communicate with everybody, that will take a little bit more time. That takes a little bit more practice. And so that would be the area that I would focus more on while you're in vet school they're going to teach you all the practical clinical stuff. Like, don't worry about that. Well, do worry, but not <laughs> to this degree. That's what I'm going for. Really try and focus a lot more on those professional skills. Read some good books. Listen to some podcasts. Talk to your mentors. Really focus down on those skills because that will be what sets you apart when you graduate. And honestly, that was the hardest part for me when I graduated was figuring out how do I communicate with these humans as a doctor now because I've just been a student under someone else's direction for the last four plus years of my life. So having a little bit more groundwork on that side of things would have made life a little bit more easy, a little bit easier when I had graduated. So that is breaking that um, huge multi-question question down and breaking uh, Shiloh's answer down a little bit more. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VEDEX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VEDEX community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one -one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. And let's see here. Let me keep scrolling down. Let's see. There's just so many questions as I'm scrolling through. And initially, I was like, oh, I'm going to make a list of all these. But I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to end up spending 500 hours on one question and then never get to anything else on the list. So, ooh, here's one that someone asked. Oh, <laughs> Navli questions. Oh, good. I love a good Navli question. So if you are not in the United States um, or you're not planning on practicing in the United States, you may have heard about the Navli, but maybe you don't know too much. But if you're in the United States, you definitely know what the Navli is. But if you don't, the Navli is a seven-hour beast of an exam that everybody must take in order to practice medicine in the United States. Yeah, it sucks, but everyone has to do it. And uh, the, the more you listen to people talk about the Navli, which the results for that, 
ooh, the time of this episode comes out, probably the results came out maybe in the last month. Trying to remember exactly. Regardless, anywho, there's always a number of people that fail, a number of people that pass. And the the truth of the matter is this exam is just an exam. It does not have any stake in who you are or how you practice as a veterinarian, other than the fact that it's just a checkpoint you have to get through. But seven hours of a beast of an exam covering all aspects of veterinary medicine. And everyone always freaks out as a vet student as, when should I start studying? How should I best study? Because they know this, like, you have to get through the NAVLI in order to practice medicine. And uh, I love the answers that come from this. And thankfully, I feel that thankfully the, the answers on this one are very well balanced. And uh, it almost makes me laugh because everyone who has taken the NAVLI, they're like, and eh, don't worry about it until you're in your final year, quite honestly, because you have people who have studied for six months, two years. Some people will pass. Some people will fail. doesn't really matter how long you study. It is a study smarter, not harder type of scenario. And there are many, many uh, resources out there. Vet Prep and Zuku are the main two that you can use. I personally used Vet Prep. Worked pretty well for me. Just my own personal experience. And uh, yeah, so to really, when you're studying for the NAVLI, don't worry about it if you're not in your final year. <laughs> Honestly, do not even worry about the NAVLI until you're in your final year. And even then, in general, the average student only needs maybe six months of prep work. And the majority of that will occur within the last month and a half leading up to the NAVLI. That's when you kind of ramp up your studying um, and your concentration of studying. In the beginning of those six months, you're just kind of doing it every now and then. And that's the other thing is like doing repetition, doing it, you like use the Pomodoro technique, like you'll figure out all these things and you've hopefully set yourself up for success for studying for it in the three and a half years leading up to when you start studying. But the uh, majority of these answers are, are fantastic. I almost laugh because it, it really is a don't worry about it till you're in your final year question. People who are in their first or second year trying to study for the NAVLI, if you want to do the question today type of thing, that's fine because it gets you exposed to how the questions are formulated. And that's honestly it, how it is. It's an exam that's less about what you know. Granted, you have to know the things, but it's less about how, what you know and more how you take the exam. When you're actually studying for the NAVLI, doing the question a day can be helpful because, again, you're getting familiar with the actual process and how it looks and how the like the web screen looks. And then there are also practice exams that you can take that are like four hours long and getting yourself used to sitting down in front of a, a computer that's somewhat uncomfortable, maybe in a colder room, like all of these little tiny this new, subtle nuances that make you more successful in taking the exam. Like that's the majority of what you should focus on is, um, if you are not a good test taker is how to take the exam. And then if you have the knowledge base, then the rest will come. But yeah, so that's the that's the general <laughs> answer when it comes to the NAVLI. Oh, there was another NAVLI question right below it. That's fantastic. And ooh, internship questions and <laughs> surviving your first year. Oh, goodness. So surviving your first year in vet school, that one, hmm. Uh, I wish, like, normally I'd be like, I'd have an answer, but I feel right now because of the pandemic, everything's a little bit different. But if I were to still go off of my general recommendations for how to survive your first year in vet school, let's see here. If we were in a non-pandemic setting, 
a lot of it would come down to don't be so hard on yourself. Like you have three and a half more years of that school to get through. This is not the end all be all. It will be hard. It will be challenging. There'll probably be days that you want to cry, but that is okay. That is vet school in a nutshell. The things that will, like you want to find things you love to do, quite honestly. it Like, yes, you'll have to study hard. You'll have to know the things and go to the practicals and learn anatomy. But if you don't enjoy the rest of your time in vet school, it's going to really suck. The next four years, next three years are not going to be fun. So learning how to delegate your time now as a first year student when you have a little bit more time will be infinitely important because it will set up how you continue to delegate your time, like basically your personal time, your study time in your first year. And then that will carry you through the rest of your years. And then also it's almost like it's practice for real life. (laughs) And granted, Being in real life medicine is different than vet school, but if in vet school you learn how to prioritize your time, then when you leave vet school and you go into quote unquote the real world, you will be better prepared to figure out how to say no in a, I hate the say no because you can kind of thing, but honestly, like you need to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to take my work home with me type of thing. But how you talked, gosh, I'm like so many words and thoughts going in my head about this question right now. But in general, all right, let me circle back here. So what you do in your first year of vet school will set up how you take care of yourself for the following years. How you train yourself during those following years will be what sets you up for success after you graduate. Because when after you graduate, you're going to have a more set schedule, ideally which is not something that you'll have in vet school, but you'll need to learn how to find the things that you that fill you, honestly, the things that bring you joy, because your entire life cannot be veterinary medicine. And if you practice that type of mindset in vet school, it'll set you up for success when you graduate. I really hope that came out in an English form. <laughs> My brain. Oh, goodness. There's just so much excitement when I talk about these things. And I'm so like fired up when I talk about it. And oh gosh, we're starting to run short on time. This is why I did not make a list of questions. I knew that I'd get through like five and that would be it. So that's where I will I'll wrap up for now. I want you guys to go and check out that post. Honestly, there's so many more questions that, and again, there's so many more answers than just my own voice. And that's why I love doing these posts is because I like, yeah, sure. I can talk at you and give you my own personal opinion, But there's so much more value in hearing multiple people maybe say the same thing or say something slightly different because they're coming from different backgrounds. They're coming from different experiences. And that is the type of thing that we need in this profession. We don't just need one single person talking at you. So go and read those questions. Go and read those answers. Put your own question if I wasn't able to answer one here today. And we're going to do more of these in the future. So if you have questions that you want me to answer, if you have something that you want me personally to answer, I can do that. But also, I'll be doing more of these. If you're a student, ask a question. If you're a vet, answer a question. And then we'll cover more of those in future episodes. But that's where I'll wrap up for here today. If you guys are not already a member of the Thrive community, go and sign up because that's where you can do more of this. You can ask questions. You can get answers from members of the community. And it's just, it's a great place to be. So go and join. Um, You can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Mariah McCauley. And you can also go and follow VetX International on Instagram. Keep those questions coming. Keep the community going. 
But until next time, y'all, see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Bet Life.